Welcome to the Veterinary Project Podcast, Episode 092. Welcome to the show created by vets featuring absolutely no pets. This is the Veterinary Project Podcast, created by Dr. Michael Bug and Dr. Jonathan Light. Our resident veterinarians have swapped out their stethoscopes in favor of microphones to bring you the Veterinary Project Podcast, a show focused on real conversations aimed to connect this amazing profession full of remarkable people. Through the sharing of collective stories and wisdom and connecting over the many unique challenges we face, we invite you to join our community of veterinary professionals leading intentional lives. And now, let's get started with another episode of the Veterinary Project Podcast. Welcome back to the Veterinary Project Podcast. You are joined today by actually somebody other than Dr. Michael Bug. Today, I have the pleasure of hosting with Dr. Stephanie Van Dyne Snell. Good morning, Steph. Good morning, John. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming on today. And we are joined by Becky Taylor, also a previous podcast guest. Welcome, Becky. Thank you. Good morning. Very, very, very happy to be here with you guys today. Well, I couldn't think of two better individuals to have on the podcast this morning. Sorry, Mike, you're getting shunted to the side. (laughs) He's going to hear it and he's very, you know, heartbroken about it. But uh, I'm really excited about this conversation this morning. Uh, For those that may not have listened in the past, Becky Taylor was our podcast guest on episode 50, one of our most popular episodes speaking about communication in the workplace and all of those different skills, which we need to continually evolve and learn with, as well as Dr. Stephanie Van Dyens has been on a couple of our episodes now, uh, the inaugural episode at the end of December, another one recent, and now also, um, for those that have not heard her speak before, is also the owner um, and practitioner at Central Vet Services just outside of Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, where she helps um, operate a 12 vet, or excuse me, nine veterinarians, 12 veterinary uh, tech. Let's try this again. Nine vets, 12 techs with her husband and another partner uh, in mixed animal practice. Becky, going back to her as well, too, runs and operates BS communication strategies with her partner, Sage, as well. Lots of topics to get into it. Let's jump. Uh, Before we do so, Becky, we got onto a call last week uh, and set up for this discussion and talking all things RVTs. All things RVTs in 2022 becomes even, even more of a topic of conversation continuing with the veterinary shortage, whether it's veterinarians, RVTs, techs, and the need to support an on going increase in demand at our veterinary practices. Where does this take you, Becky, in this day and age? And uh, tell me what your thoughts are and where we are at right now. I, um, well, I think it's an exciting time. I know our profession is feeling drained and, and weary right now. Uh, I also really see tremendous opportunity and growth. I and there's no better time that RVTs can start optimizing what's going on in the world. Not just RVTs, obviously, 
anything that RVTs do ultimately needs to support what veterinarians are doing, which then supports the veterinary community and the profession and the whole um, giving and the whole treating of animals and caring for animals, which is what our main goal is. So I think, I think it's a good time. I think now is the time where change, we are ready for change, I guess, and, and not out of desperation. I do feel that in, in some of our people, but out of opportunity. And that's really the point that I think that we're at right now is it, it's just a, there is just a huge mountain of opportunity for RBTs and for our profession, for our whole profession to start progressing and um, really, really getting into our creative ideas and thinking. So that's, that's where I think Jonathan, I just, and I still, I mean, I'm old, I'm vintage, man. Like I am vintage RVT situation right here coming up to 30 years. And um, I'm just as excited about veterinary medicine as I was, uh, you know, many, many years ago. So it's just, uh, it's so full of opportunity right now. That's, that's where I'm at. Well, I love the energy, the enthusiasm, and also you're talking about the whole spectrum. You went from desperation to opportunity and nonstop. Like that is the full pendulum right there. Uh, what creates that excitement in you and or in your work where you feel that that opportunity is there and or that ability to maybe uh, re-engage maybe that vet community that we need present in order to be able to sustain ourselves in this industry? What, what gives you that energy? Well, you know, I, I'm ultimately energized by people. <laughs> so, you probably know that Jonathan, about me having worked with me before. <laughs> so, uh, and I think um, that is what energized me. I, I, again, that this long time in the profession, I have met the most amazing, interesting, thoughtful, man, gritty. I love the word grit. And this profession is loaded with gritty folks that are, um, and by grit, I mean resilient and caring and um, and and inquisitive. And so that's what energizes me is all these people and all these people that are still doing the thing. They're still top priority, caring for patients, providing great service to clients. And so where do I get my energy from? All these great people. And they just continually are, our profession is full of them. I don't, I don't think there is another profession that has as many amazing people as this one. And so that energy comes from the conversations that I have, meeting people, you know, uh, when I'm doing these, running these courses with BS communication strategies, and I'm talking about dialogue skills, and people are just soaking it up and they're immediately applying it. And that's what I love about it. I think um, people are still amazing. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm an animal person, hardcore, and that is still my driver. But the people in this profession are amazing. And, and I also feel energized by the people that own and care for animals. I, I never forget that those people need us. And so that, that to me is such a privilege to provide care like that to people that are owning and caring for animals. And I know, again, that's when you talked about the spectrum, Jonathan, of sort of draining to optimism, that's where I see us, you know, our people swinging every day. There's like, oh, yay. And then there's like, oh, God, oh, yay. You know, <laughs> that swinging is, is quite tiring too. But I, you know, we just have some great people in this profession, both the people that we serve and the animals that we serve and the people that are doing it. Um, that's my energy. 
Well, you and uh, Steph are, are there because at the same point, every time I talk to Steph, Steph's talking about, okay, how do I lead my people in terms of being able to grow their own skills, grow their own development? And it's not Steph doing the day-to-day task. It's that vision creating. And I think there's that intersection there that you spoke about as well, too, in terms of when we get that right, or when we focus on the people, then that interplay with the animals and what our job is to serve our clients and animals gets better as a result of it. Steph, do you agree with that comment? And I'm putting words in your mouth potentially. Oh yeah, for sure. And like, I was going to say, I just like, I'm such a huge fan of you, Becky Taylor, because of everything that you've done for the profession. And I think like what, what I see as a clinic owner and when I talk to other clinic owners and maybe you'll agree with me, John, like there's a lot of like, like wanting to do, you know, kind of better by our RBTs. Um, but then it's, it's like, how, how do we do it? What can we do? So, so when you, you have this course now, right. It's just, it gives us, um, you know, this opportunity, like, yes, let's do this. This makes it easy for us to, to do what we want to do. Cause I think, um, like, like that's sometimes what is missing. Like we want to make these changes, but like, how do we do it? We're all so busy. We end up just like uh, putting it off, putting it on the shelf um, and like hoping someone else will figure it out. And you're kind of that person, right? That's figuring it out for us and kind of helping us as clinic owners and you're, and like the RBTs and everyone bring stuff together and, and actually make change that. So I'm really, yeah, really impressed by that. I'm a big fan. <laughs> Thank you. And I would add, sorry, I would add to that, um, both your comments. Um, you know, one of the things that really attracted me to communication early on, I mean, I've always enjoyed working with people that that's something that I've always enjoyed and, and tried to develop. But when I got into the communication research, and I started really looking at it, and when I did my program, I started realizing that this was a path to great care. So so what was a actually hit home immediately was that when we can communicate better with owners, patient care gets better. That's replicated over and over and over and over in human medicine, for sure, that, you know, when the doctor develops good rapport with their patient and, and all the things are used, you know, repeatedly care, you know, they comply, their recovery is faster or better. And we're starting to see that in veterinary medicine. And because RVTs are so connected in a different way than they are, than the veterinarians are with the clients, I started thinking like, wow, this is, this is doable. And then add to that, that the skills are teachable, coachable, learnable. Like to me, it was just such a win. And then the, the, the side effect of all that is that they start communicating better with the goal of, you know, communicating better with clients. And suddenly they start communicating better with each other. Then, then, then everything starts falling into place and people are feeling better, for lack of a better term. But ultimately, that was such a, uh, like, like, it was like a spark went off in my mind. Do you mean if we do better with people that animals get better? I'm in. I'm in. That was a a huge. So let's get into the specifics of that. Because Steph had two RVTs that have gone to a course that you now put on a five day course. And this is you know, this is not a paid advertisement or anything else. And <laughs> Becky and I don't agree on everything related to this course either. So let's add on it. Yeah, um, let's do it. But, and, and Mosaic Veterinary Partners, we've had a number of our techs go through it as well too, two in the last year here, which is exciting. And uh, let's talk about what your goals are when you have your mobilize. Let's go into mobilizing RVT. So this is a five-day course that you put on. Uh, and let's get into the definition because there is some... Uh, feelings out there is really what is mobilizing RVTs? Why do we have to mobilize RVTs? What does that mean? Wait a second. 
are you are you disparaging RVTs? Like we have a job already. We know what we're doing. Tell us more about that and why you named it that in particular. Well, okay, Becky's opinion is about to come out That's right now, after, and then we can go into it. I um, I I want to stop. I have stopped using the term utilizing RVT, um, and the reason is, you know, you look at practice veterinary practice magazines from the 70s and it talks about under utilization and I'm so tired of that term and we need to utilize them more well you know what I utilize is tools like if I'm going to go do something I'm going to utilize the right tool and I thought I don't know we're not going to we're not tools we're not things to be used or utilized so right away I think we set ourselves up to just do more work like do more tasks so I started um really stewing about it and thinking, where's the gap here? It's not, so So sometimes people would interpret that we better utilize text more, meant give them more tasks. So they have 7,500 things to do on their to-do list on a day. Let's add more and we'll say they're utilized. Well, no. So that term, that's how I feel about it. Um, and so I sort of think, well, what would it be? And mobilizing really is about getting ready for action. It's about having people that are ready and they're mobile and they're going and they're going to start doing something because that's what I feel about RBTs. They have already a solid base of knowledge. So there was a gap in what could they do and how could they interact more with clients and ultimately still do what we do best, which is support the veterinarian, support the team and ultimately support patient care. So those are the things that in my mind, when I was circling around, how could we build this? What could we do? Where's the gap? And of course, I, I do it all through a, a lens of dialogue and communication. And I thought, okay, one piece that's missing is we don't really target, educate um, HTs or RB, HTs when they're in their programs. And I taught at Olds College for many years. And I thought, we're not really including this in the curriculum a lot. So there was a gap we are starting to really include lots in the veterinary programs now, right? They're all the veterinary programs have communication as a clinical skill. They have to do it. So, so I thought, well, okay, we need to, in that concept of mobilizing, they're ready. We are ready for action. What's the next thing is to provide that bit of education in there and practice so that they could be interacting with, with clients so that they could be supporting the veterinarians, you know, all the things. So, um, I don't know if you want me to give a quick description of the program, Jonathan, or if you've already done that. No, I haven't done that already. And because I don't want it to have just on this program itself, today's discussion, you describe a gap. Yeah. And so RVTs are coming out of school. Yeah. They're very much focused at the start on technical skill, literally of course. placing a catheter, yeah. getting an yeah. x-ray, getting anesthesia, monitoring all of those other pieces. Once those are coordinated and they do happen, they happen 99% of the time yeah. with RVTs, then you're saying there's a further gap that's in place. Is that what I'm hearing? And that's what you're trying to cover. What is that mm-hmm. gap and why are you covering it? So to me, the gap is their interactions with clients in the form of running an appointment, meaning um, that, that role. And you're right, Jonathan, all those technical skills, the clinical, you know, communication is a clinical skill, but those technical skills that you're talking about, like, here's the needle and where do I put the pointy end, right? That's, they need to know that. Um, and they need to get the medicine sorted out and the care so that they're, they have that base of knowledge, and that understanding. But the gap now is how do I go and present myself to the client? The veterinarians are doing it all the time. The veterinarians go, I'm Dr. So-and-so. We do the appointment. I make my recommendations. I send you home. You comply. There's a whole cycle. And there hasn't really, there isn't really that other than, oh yeah, 
uh, RPTs educate clients. And I started thinking, well, how do they educate? How do they know how to do that? How do they get the client's perspective? So it started being less about RBTs just telling them what to do in a discharge, for example, or handing them over an estimate. It started, I started thinking, okay, there's a whole cycle here where we need to build relationships with these clients to support the relationship that the owner or owners have with the veterinarian to bond them to the practice, to generate revenue. And, you know, you start seeing a domino effect. So that was the gap that I saw, not in the technical skills. They need that base. You're right. And that's, you know, we're all keen. Veterinarians the same. I mean, they come out and they want to do the cutting and the curing and the healing and all the things that they do. And but this needs to also be the focus because it leads to better care, leads to better care all the time. So, um, so that was the gap that I saw. And, and then there are those RBTs that want to do, they want to, they're so in, you know, interested in working more with the clients and, and being a partner in that client with that client for the care of their animal. And the struggle was some of them would kind of do it the way they've done it or saw someone, but we really needed to focus on the dialogue skills so it could become more efficient, so it could become more effective. And it was something that they could learn and grow and get coached on and all that. So that was the gap, not that they, they need more information about vaccines or they need more information about nursing care. It's not that it's how do I develop rapport with a client? How do I communicate? through dialogue really, really effectively for the betterment of the patient? How do I use that to work with the team? All those pieces. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm targeting. That's what the whole point of, of, of what I'm doing is. And, and it's not for everybody, Jonathan, not every RBT should, you know, wants to do that. and wants to, you know, start really developing relate. They want some just, they want to do their clinical skills. That's great. Then they should be doing that and work towards building those skills. Yeah. So I, and I think there's a lot of RBTs that are highly skilled in dialogue and in relationship building and, and already do a great job. So this is adding polish to something that's already pretty shiny. I appreciate you saying that, that last context. And I'd love Steph's opinion on this as well, too, because even at Bridgeline, which has been open less than a year, we're already into differentiation of jobs and duties and tasks, because there are some that will then be more adept and or experienced and or desiring of remaining in that treatment room and, and that technical skill quality, as opposed to those that uh, enjoy being with the clients more. Steph, have you seen that in your own setup? And I guess my follow-up would be, uh, how have you guys worked with the gap in the past? Yeah. So, I mean, we're, we have a big clinic, so there's lots of different things going on. So we've been able to job craft in a way. So like, like we do have, have RVTs that, just do medicine. We have RBTs that prefer large animal and surgery. So that's all they do. Um, like I do find like the communication is necessary for whatever role they're in, even like you were saying, Becky, between just the team. Um, so yeah, like I think more and more as, as we kind of, and like, as you're talking, Becky, even the, you know, that gap, when I think of the gap, I see it as like vets on top and then the RBTs under the vets. But for so many years now, we've been looking at it more like, here's the vets, here's the RBTs. Yes, they can play off each other, but but it is a separate, you know, role. And there's so many things now that that our like RBT team does that our vets don't know how to do. Right. Like there's like stuff where it's like grab an RBT. We don't know how to do that. And I think like that's what I want to see happen is, is more and more. It's, it, you know, they're 
there's separate rules and, and they support each other, but there's all these different things that like the techs can do, all these different things that the vets can do. And, and then, yeah, to kind of close that gap that way when it comes to like the leadership within those rules. Cause like when you're talking about um, like that communication and being in the exam room, I just find, yeah, it's that, it's that switch for the RBT team where it's like, Oh, I'm the leader in this appointment. I'm not waiting for the vet just to tell me what to do. I have the power here to like lead this client and this patient to like a good outcome. And, and that's on me. And like you were saying, that's not for everyone. Like, like that to me would be the thing that's maybe not for everyone. Cause I think some maybe do get into the profession thinking, no, I just, you know, like I, I want to support the vet. Whereas there are others that are like, no, I, I want to be a leader in my own right. I want to take charge here and I, I want to be responsible for more. So I think that's what's, what's so beautiful about the RBT profession is there's even like a larger like scope than even like vets, right? Like there's so much, like there's so much opportunity or so many different things they can do different niches that's kind of thing so I don't know I just yeah that's kind of where I see the gap and that's kind of what like again just very much what you were saying Becky what what we like to do too is really figure out what people like doing and then and then just being able to support that so yeah I call that a strengths-based team Jonathan's heard me talk about that a ton and that's um, and that was uh, a, a leadership conference that I went to where we did a it was called Strengths Finder. It's one of many tools that you can use. And, and I remember the speaker, he was talking and, you know, he says, how many of you go to a conference and you go to the things that you lo- know the least about? And there was, you know, wasn't just veterinary people in the room and all of us are wondering, yeah, we've got to try to build the things that we're not really good at. And he says, well, why aren't you still going to the things that you're already good at? you know, to get even better yet, kind of. And I, and, and I remember thinking, I was so affected by that. It was fairly early in my career with Olds College. And I thought, yeah, why am I going to learn things that I don't even like, just so I can say I'm a little bit better at something I suck at? Why, why am I doing that? And so really what you're talking about there, Stephanie, is, you know, to really find, you know, the, the where each team member, what their strength and shiny areas and keep developing that, because when they're, you know, I really believe when you're doing something you like and you're good at, you're going to get really efficient at it. And then you get so good, you can teach others. And then, you know, and it doesn't mean you can't still be competent at some of the other jobs. I mean, there obviously we have to have a level of, of entry level competence. I, I can't, you know, go and do only one thing and never put in an IV catheter, for example, or never, you know, restrain a patient. I, I will have entry level skills, but you know what, if 80% of the time I'm doing what I rock at, and I'm so good that I become so efficient. And then my partner over here is doing what they do. And then suddenly you've got all these pieces that are clicking together and it isn't a drain like, oh God, I have to go run the diagnostic and do something I don't like. And I'm dragging a lot. Like, and that's what affects efficiency, I think. So what you're talking about, I love is, is really like looking around the room and say, who's good at what? Let's do more of that. And let's learn more. I still go to communication courses. Like I still learn. Um, even though I'm, I'm pretty accomplished, you know, as far as education and training, but I still love doing that um, so that I can continue to fuel what I like and what I'm good at. So I love that you're, you're seeing that and you're building that with your team. Cause I, I think that's what creates effective, efficient, joyful, right. Mm-hmm. Doing stuff. Well, you the know. Retention piece too. And I don't know oh. what your experiences have been over the last, however many years you've been in the profession, but even just in like the short, I guess, 
11 years now that we've owned the clinic, since we've made some of these, these changes, the retention of our team has been been that much better too, because they, they enjoy coming to work and, and like suddenly they're not feeling like they have to leave because they don't want to do large animal medicine anymore. Or they just, you know, get, get so anxious before a surgery day that they, and you know, they know how to do it. They just don't like it. And they, they yep. eat their surgery days and then that just wears on them. So now it's like, you don't have to do surgery days. And I think that's, but yeah, what have your experiences been seeing like the switch and maybe the improvement hopefully in retention kind of over the years with, with some of these changes? Have you noticed that? I think the folks that I know, and there are other vintage techs out there, not just me. Um, and when I talk with them, their longevity is because they're doing work that they that they love. And it's not just enough to say, oh, I'm touching patients and I'm, you know, it's not that anymore. It's, I really spend time doing what I love and I'm good at and it feels good. That's how we bring joy to the workplace. It has to stop being this drudgery business that we're in right now. Um, and, and I think part of that is, uh, you know, some where some of us are consumed with having to be good at everything and do everything well. And I think, no, stop doing stuff you suck at. You know, you don't like it and you're not good at it. So don't do it. Do all these things. And that's what brings, I mean, that's not, that's a no brainer. Is it not? Like if I'm doing something I like and I'm good at it and I can get it done faster than maybe some of the other people, not faster, like to get it done, but faster with efficiency, with skill. Wow. And everybody's doing that. That's like clean up on aisle seven, you know, like everything starts getting tidied up. Everything starts. And those are the people that I see having longevity in this profession and the RBTs that are, are rocking it. And they have evolved to get into the niche where they're really great at something that they love, brings them joy, you know? And, and I think joy needs to come, needs to be in the workplace. Not I'm only joyful when I'm at home or when I'm, you know, focusing on my wellness. I, you know, my, my home and work, they hold hands. They are connected and I want to bring the joy from work to home and back and forth. So I really think that supports that. And I love that you're seeing that already and that you've seen in that 11 years that you've seen kind of that transition where, you know, where you see this person, it's coming to work today and they're already at a high degree of, you know, I don't want to, I don't like, and that affects efficiency, right. And, and, and productivity and it's just not going to get done as well. Right. Yeah. I love that you're noticing that already. It's awesome. Can we jump into a couple specifics? Sure. All right. 2022, depending on where you're listening to this from North America wide and across the world, there are legalities around what it means to have an RVT running an appointment. So I want to do talk through that specifics yeah, because there is some specifics that are related to legalities and what that looks like. And then number two, whether you're in corporate medicines or a corporate driven clinic and or an independent clinic, yeah. how does an individual have a conversation with their leadership? or leadership have the conversation with the individual to make and acknowledge what's present, whether it is burnout or a desire for more and getting to the next steps in a person's career. Because I think there is some self-accountability there present also necessary. So there's two big pieces I want to go down the, the path on. Wow, those the, are big. <laughs> next 20 minutes. That's all okay. we have. We're short time. But I, I want these specifics because there's people listening that need to know this as they're thinking about going, oh, this sounds all great. It's very dairy. It's fantastic. 11 years is a long time, Steph, that you've been at this. Becky, almost 30 years. Long time. What's somebody doing listening? Work with the legalities as well as talk to leadership or vice versa. 
I can address the the, the legalities, and and I think you're really talking about scope of practice for RVTs, if we if we we're to, to name it that. And so here's my um, here's my wisdom for what it's worth is depending on where you at, you must know the ins and outs of what the regulatory body or the legislation or whatever is. I, I guess add to your point, Jonathan, about you know when I started this or when I started thinking about that, I spent years on Triple H. It was called Triple H. The Tech Association, the Veterinary Association, where I really learned it understood it and really saw the value in what that particular part of our profession was doing. I wouldn't have known that had I not been pretty intimately involved in committees and council and all those things. So, so that having that education and to really go into it thinking, what can I learn? Not what is it that they're stopping me from doing? Because that's how a lot of people feel about legislation. If I'm brought, you know, or rules really is what we're talking about. So for each person that's listening, know what it is in your district, in your area, in your, you know, in your state, in your province and whatever, and know what it is and is there limitations. And the we- the best way to do that is to, to find out. I can speak to what it is in Alberta um, and a little bit across Canada, but, can you I know, that as well too? yeah, please. But you and I have worked together for years now also. And yep. we worked on some ventures together where you've taken that information, you've got to know the stakeholders, but then you've also been able to help, <laughs> I'm going to say it as it is, regulators yep. to understand what the definitions that already exist in place are. So for those yep. that are listening, it's not like it's a one against the other necessarily. No, no it's no. a group education and sometimes the rising of all ships together. And that does include regulators that are continually trying to progress and I can say that as being on council right now, it is not a, yeah. a, we block all, no, but it is a discussion in education. And, I've seen and that. I love that you're, you're calling it a discussion. I spoke last year uh, virtually at the international, I mean, well, was international veterinary regulators meeting. And, uh, and I was speaking about this too, and I uh, was really challenging everybody to do the same thing that you're mentioning, Jonathan, is to, it's about having a conversation. It's not regulators saying, do this, do this. And people going, oh, those dang regulators, all they do is find ways to, you know, take my license and make my life miserable. It's not that. It has to be the conversation with inquisitiveness being at the table, right? The curiosity be like, why is it like this? Oh, you know, is it hard and fast? Well, not really. And to have really... Um, again, inquisitive conversation, like you're saying, Jonathan, about just getting to know it, but not getting to know it to, oh, how can I know it, find the loopholes? How do I look at it and say, what is the piece that I can work with here? And it can't be, well, if only regulations would change. Well, you talk to anybody on council, sure, we'll change the regulations and we'll see it in 15 years. Like, it's not that easy to just change a thing like that, like the Veterinary Professions Act, for example. Like, that's not a thing that someone's just going to go cross out and put some new writing in there. And, and that's good. We can't be in, in any regulatory body just changing policies at the whim of, of whatever. So, so it is about getting to know what you need to know and approaching that, like you were describing, with a real open mind and an inquisitiveness to be like, I really need to understand this. So then I can make it work in this situation, not I need to understand it. So then I can be mad at it. So then I can wish it was some other way. That's, you know, it's not productive, but here's this thing. How do I work with this? And that's what I did with this mobilizing RVT. I looked at what the legislation was. I had great conversations with people in those roles. And ultimately I'm still supporting that. I'm still supporting what the profession of veterinary medicine is about. 
And um, what, what that to me think, is really key. What, what do you think the result would have been in terms of rolling this program or any other program out if you would have just gone right against the ABVMA in terms of, well, saying screw it, scope of practice for RVTs is XYZ, et cetera, and I'm going to go with it no matter what? Because well, this is the way I read the rules. Sure. Um, and, you know, I've seen enough conversations go that way and they're not productive and, and they don't end well, generally. I mean, certainly I could have done that. I, I knew, you know, I know what the regulations are and I've, I've sat, but I thought, why would I do that? This has to be a, are we not all in the same dang profession? Are we not all trying to solve the same problems? And they're a big part of it. So for me to, or anyone to go and just, well, I'm going to do this anyway and hope I don't get caught or I'm going to interpret it my way. To me, that I when I looked at that, and I could have went that way. I'm so glad you said that because, but I thought this is not this is not my way. This is not a dialogue way. This is not in good communication. And so, to me, that became very important, and not so much to go and sway them, but to be like, "What's your perspective on this? I like really need to know what you think about this, and let's have some difficult conversations." And we did, believe me. Um, and it really was just came to such a great understanding and um, that mutual perspective gaining that to me was, was the other piece, Jonathan, that comes from skilled dialogue is what is your perspective and why? And then when I hear that, then I can say, I don't want to share mine. And then suddenly you do that with clients, with teammates and all that. It just became like, okay, this is going to work. We're going to tweak some things here. We're going to do it this way. We got to look at these kind of things. And it just, it was so much better. And, and I felt um, that we were trying to connect many parts of the profession. And that's a big part of it, whether we like it or not. That, that's, but I mean, we live in a society where there's rules and regulations, like, and, and we can't just be mad about them and wish they would change, you know, because that's kind of a waste of time, wishing something would change. It is not. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Anything to add to that, Steph? Yeah, like, I just like that you you said, like, we're all on the same team. And I think that's, that's my biggest fear with, with everything we're up against right now, trying to make positive, you know, impactful changes, is all the, you know, kind of like the naysayers, the egos, like, there's all these other components. But I think if, if like the whole profession as a whole can really, really focus on like, what are we actually here for? What's our purpose as a profession? Hopefully we can get through some of that and, and actually see things improve and change. So, yeah. And, and when we feel we're up against something like that, I guess my, you know, I, I'm insatiably curious. I, I love, as I'd be, you know, my, my goal when I'm, when I feel like I'm up against that or something is I really, then I have to be like, why do you think that way? Like, that's how I'd be like leaning in. What is your perspective? Why? Tell me more about that to the point where as a person starts, you know, when you can guide that kind of dialogue and the person starts explaining their perspective, suddenly you don't have to convince them anymore. They go, oh, I see the gap here. Or, oh yeah, I see where that, and then you're like, yeah, now we're talking. Um, But I can't go in it with a, you know, I'm going to, I'll tell you. I mean, I hope through great conversation and a real connected dialogue, both perspectives are heard, even if they're challenged, you know, and Jonathan and I have done this many, many times. And, but it really, then you have a really energetic conversation, not a, you know, and it doesn't have to be sunshine and roses and false, you know, BS. It just needs to be like, what is your perspective and why? And then if I don't like it, I have to question myself and be like, why, why aren't you liking this right? Like what is causing this in you right now? 
oh, it's that. Okay, now I can manage that. Yeah. And then that's where that strong communication comes in to create, you know, that, that yeah. safe space where people actually feel like they can voice opinions and they're not automatically getting defensive and, you know, that, yeah. that things aren't escalating. We're just, we're able to have those kind of honest conversations, even if they are difficult. So that's And that really- has to have some dialogue skill in there. Yes. That's the skill piece of dialogue. Yeah. Right so on. I think your, your first answer could also then be turned towards the second answer as well too. So legalities, understanding your jurisdiction, understanding what that looks like, and then providing that information again now into the second part. I think your answer is going to be quite the same, but I'm guessing based on how you would approach with leadership and or leadership going yeah. back in regards yeah. to hey, we've got RVTs that want to do more, want to be more engaged and or re-engage in a different way than they have previously. How do you approach that with your leadership? Because we've already heard that. I've, I've seen that in our own practices where you have some amazingly engaged RVTs, they come back into practice and they hit a wall. And that yeah. wall actually is not of anything feminist or, or no. exciting to you know, want to do backwards medicine, not whatsoever but there's then a gap at the clinic level. How does someone deal with that? And, or how does an RVT in practice right now, a vet in practice right now that wants to make change, bring that up to the leaders. And then what do the leaders need to do as a result? Is it speaking mm-hmm. to everybody? Well, such a good question. Um, very hard to do that, Jonathan, if you don't have some dialogue skills that you are aware of. So, so that to me is thing number one. If and and what I, everybody knows how to, I'm making it sound like nobody knows how to have dialogue. We already know how to talk to each other, right? Like we we have some skills already. So it's refining those skills. It's about self management, having some emotional fitness to know that I'm about to go talk to Dr. Stephanie. I really want to talk to her about this thing that I want to do, and I have to be like, hey, it really makes me nervous. I think she's going to say no. What if she says no? What if she fires me? What if I? And I have all that worry. I need to go through that in my mind so that I can really think to it get down to the, you know, what it is that's bothering me, that's emotional fitness and empathy and all the things that we can build. And then when I go to her, I have to go with the interest and the ability to say, I need to understand her perspective. I need to ask great questions. And they need to get to the point where we have a connected dialogue. Now, connected dialogue to me doesn't mean we're agreeing, we're holding hands and singing kumbaya, you know, skipping down the stairway. It means that it becomes a back and forth. Dr. Cindy Adams describes that as a, as a Frisbee conversation, right? It goes back and forth, back and forth. And that is when we're approaching leadership, we have to go in with, I need to share my perspective, but I also really need to hear theirs. It is. And when you said, I'm going to give the same answer, like that is about gaining perspective. And, and it's not about going to convince Stephanie, that I need to do this. It's about going to say, I have this idea, I have this desire, I put some thought into it. What are your thoughts on it? Where are you at? What are what's your perspective? So to me, I think that's really, really, really key. And, uh, you know, of course, it just all comes down to skilled dialogue. That's my answer for everything, isn't it, Jonathan? (laughs) How many times have you heard me say that? (laughs) I want to play this out a little bit. And I, I get to do this as a host is put people on the spot. That's the beauty of being a host. Steph, I love it. Becky comes to you. She's got this great idea. You have no idea what she's talking about. Not whatsoever. You're running a super busy practice. There's things coming from all over the place. Uh, 
What does it look like for a leader to best respond with uh, uh, something that's come forward that does have thought behind it? And also you know, going, yeah, I can't just say yes to this. I don't know enough about it. Where does this land on your lap when you're hearing these types of opportunities come forward? Because this happens yeah. quite a bit. Yeah. Well, and like, this is where, like, like I can answer that question easily for myself. But then when I think of like, where, what is the perspective of, you know, kind of other clinic owners, depending, like, are they still seeing a heavy caseload? Are they doing all these different things? How much have they thought about like the vision and and the direction and like, what does their, what does their practice value? Like how much of that have they really dug into to have a good, space to kind of like let that land if that makes sense so so I know for us because we've we've had these active conversations of like okay how do we how do we optimize the tech minutes right so like we in our clinic we talk about vet minutes and tech minutes so how do we optimize both of those um which means how can we make sure that the majority of of time the RVTs are doing things that only RVTs can do, for example. So like that's, that's the framework we're working with. So if, if someone came to me with like, and it happens all the, the time, probably because we're set up this way is, is, Hey, like, I, I really want to take this, um, this like laser course was the last one. I want to learn how to do lasers on. And it's like, yes, awesome. Just give me the information. How much is the course? Um, like we have to see where it is in the budget. Not sure if it'll be this quarter, maybe it's next quarter. Right. And, and that's where the back and forth comes in. So for, for us, that's what it looks like. There has been times where, where we've said no, because of like the regulations and we're like, well, you, you wouldn't actually like, so for example, like, like with us, we would love to have an RVT be able to do acupuncture but, um, but right now it's kind of like, ah, oh, is it worth going through that course? Let's, let's look at some other things. Um, but, I, but I think where, where the, the biggest difficulty is, is those clinics that, that maybe haven't yet. And like the clinic owners that haven't yet made it a priority or a focus and like laid down that framework to even have those conversations. Cause I think that's maybe where it falls flat is like, there's this huge gap, like, and like, you're trying to get a hold of like the, you know, the boss and it's like, Hey, I'd really like to take this course. And it's like, what? No, I just need you to like fold the packs. Like, let's get going. Right. So I think maybe, um, yeah, you could, you could ask so many different clinic owners and you'd get a completely different answer. But, but and back in the fourth is, is yeah, for us. And I like that you say, Becky, like the getting the owner's perspective too, because I just have to say it's a little bit, a little bit off topic, but a lot of the stuff now feels like it's like, you know, kind of the team against the owners. But I, I so I really like that you say it, that, that we, because we're, we're a big team and that's, and that's trying to, that's one thing I'm always trying to get across. It's like, no, like we, we want to be a team. Like we're all in this together. Like, let's talk, let's. And, you know, we'll be super transparent with you if you're transparent with us and we all want, we all want to win together. So I like that you said that a lot, but what does it look like for you, John? Now I'm curious. I think that this is a place where I deal with this quite a bit. One from the measure of we are not in the clinic itself, if we're speaking for Mosaic Veterinary Partners. So we really have to work with our communication with our clinic managers, ensuring that there is um, an expectation around decision-making ability at the clinic level and that communication that they have the support they need in order to be able to both make those decisions, be comfortable with it, not acknowledging that sometimes there's going to be mistakes that are made and or that direction, that spend, et cetera, um, won't be completely in line, uh, but you, you still need to take a chance and move forward. And that's different. And I think there's a, a huge gap right now in veterinary medicine. And I'm seeing a play out a little bit, which I don't like is that 
corporate view that, well, corporate is not listening to me. And again, I'm not speaking mosaic. We've actually, we've done a lot of great work in it. And Becky knows it just as well as I do. There is a lot of conversation that has to happen for people to trust somebody that's not in the building 24 seven. And the acknowledgement that corporate or a, or a larger group of clinics wants the same thing as those at a clinical level is very important and everything that can be done to appreciate that both mutual relationship and perspective and the fris- and the tossing of frisbees back and forth what i'm missing right now sometimes and what i'm hearing out there is the frisbees not getting tossed back it goes from the clinic to corporate whoever they are and i'm using that and i hate that word um but the frisbees not getting thrown back from whoever that nether nether person is back down to the clinic i dislike that I think- especially in this context what you both are talking about right now is culture. <laughs> and that is a thing that needs to be fed yep. and developed. Yes. And it starts with people learning how to have better dialogue with each other, more skilled, not better, more skilled dialogue. And to be able to approach somebody with the, with the thought of, hmm, I wonder what their perspective is. I'm pretty sure I'm not going to like their perspective. But I need to go in there with like a high degree of, I wonder, I wonder what their perspective is, even if I'm sure I don't like it, but I have to go back to the wonderment. I have to go back to the curiosity. And then I layer the communication skills or the dialogue skills onto it. So, so that culture piece is really important. And you've heard me say this before, Jonathan, not everybody knows how to behave on a team. Certainly not everybody knows how to lead one. And those types of things, building culture, building communication, all that, that takes time and money. Really see the difference when I'm going and doing workshops with clinics, when the leaders are invested, when the team is there, suddenly they are building culture. They're not building more rules. And that doesn't matter if it's corporate or otherwise, right? We're talking about a feel of the group, of the, and that's what I think culture is. And it is a thing that needs time and effort and and some skill building. So that culture piece that you're both talking to is so important. Sorry. Oh, no. Like when you're speaking on that too, like this is a spot too, where I can really see like, the RBTs rising up and taking ownership of helping develop that culture too. I think sometimes, yep. you know, there's that feeling where it's like, Oh, the boss isn't doing it. So I'm out, but there's so much you can still control. And, and case in point, like our, um, I know she's been with us the longest, but yeah, she has at this point. So Shay, like you met her Becky a, a few weeks I ago. Did. She, and, and this is me brand new, brand new clinic owner. I didn't really know what I was doing. And she approached me. I think she was, was she even out of school? And I think she was only 19. Like she was young and she approached me. She's like, um, and I think at the time we had three RBTs and she's like, I really think we need a head tech. And I was like, Oh, okay. She's like, and I think I should be it. And I was like, right on. Okay, this, this is amazing. Yes. Okay. Thank you. And I just think throughout the years she's been such like an integral part in helping us you know on our our leadership journey at central western respect she's just been such a big part and and that was you know her kind of being like okay let's let's go Steph like we we need to do this together and um and yeah so that's just where like I just feel like there's, there's a lot of opportunity even for that to make such an impact even on the cultures of the clinics too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
but you recognized it. You didn't say no. You probably went, oh, what do I do with this? And then to the culture piece and the ongoing discussions, you fed it. I was thinking about this as you were speaking about this, Becky, and now as you described with Shay, is you're feeding the fire. Yeah, you're not 100% the oxygen so that it dies. And she's like, well, this isn't going to work with these new owners. I'm out of here, which you hear about all the time. No, you're putting the coals and the coals get hotter. And then before you know it, 11 years later, she's your director of medical services, correct? Like that doesn't happen overnight. That's where the ego piece comes in too, right? It's it's all like the clinic owners out there, the like the veterinarians as well, letting go of, of any ego of like, oh well, this you know now this RBT wants to come in and and do all this stuff that I'm doing. Then like like who am I if I'm not the one, you know, scrubbing for surgery? I don't know, like whatever it is. So I think that's where too, and and I'm really curious to know your experiences with this too, Becky and, and John is like. Um, it's it's one thing to have the owner and the leadership team say yes we want to mobilize our RVTs, but then what have you experienced with the associates in the clinics and, and any feedback or um, yeah. pushback with with them? So when when we wrap up the program and we kind of talk about this throughout the the five days that we're together, is it, it and, and this is not just to to this particular person. Anybody goes to a conference, one person goes, they come back and they're like, I want to do all the things. I'm ready to make some changes. And everyone's like, we're not changing. No, stop talking. And then you're like, eh, I guess we're not going to do anything. Or they make their little changes. So we talk a lot about, about how this is going to impact the team. What questions we're asked. And it's, it's my same answer all the time. It becomes about how do we have a really connected dialogue about something that we maybe don't agree on. And it's not like, let's agree to disagree. I hate that statement. It's like, let's get into perspective sharing. Let's he- hear what each other has to say. And then let's, put our inquisitive, smart, gritty minds together and figure out how we make this work. Not the long list of reasons why it won't. So we talk a lot about how does this impact the receptionist? How does this impact the TAs, the other veterinarians? And it's not, I better convince someone to think like me. It's about how do we drive and manage this dialogue so that we can really hear what each other's thinking and then figure out how do we make this work? Not why won't it work? Like not working is not an option. How is this going to work? Let's hear what you have to say. Let's hear what I have to say. And let's find the solution here. We're solution machines for crying out loud in veterinary medicine. All we do is see problems and fix problems all day long. So to take that skill set, all those attributes and apply it to something that maybe there is some disagreement. And it's about conversation and dialogue. It's not how can I convince someone. Ultimately, if the principles of the practice, if the leadership say it's a no-go, then I have to accept that. And so then I make the choice as an RBT. I'm either with this team or I'm going to go find one that is involved. And that is what's causing the turnover. Not, you know, we're all getting drained. It's, uh, you know, some of our, some people are in cages and they don't need to be. And, and that's the, you know, our discussion of the program. This isn't go back and work super hard. Um, the people that are having success in this already have the team that are interested and invested They're also willing to figure out how it's going to work for their practice. It's not a cookie cut thing. So we talk a lot about that, um, Stephanie, about how to bring it back to the practice. What are the questions that people are going to ask? What questions do we have? And know that this is an evolution. It's not a one day event. It's not like I'm going to go to the practice as soon as I'm done. I'm going to start seeing 17 appointments a day. And it's like, no, no, no. You see one or two. It's about having great conversations with the veterinarians and the and the the people that are part of this 
So it's not a one and done. It, it really has to be about how do we move that to the rest of the team? That that's huge. Ladies, it is that time. <laughs> Look down. <laughs> wow. We could go easily another half hour to an hour. And then I'm going to have an angry Mike who's not even on this podcast today. <laughs> we miss you, Mike. I'm <laughs> <laughs> uh, blaming him. No, that's no good at all. Um, great conversation and such. Uh, actually, I'm really happy into the detail that we got into here because there are individuals that will be listening to this that want to know what they can yeah. do how they can fill those gaps, whether they are leaders within their practices, RBTs looking for next steps in their career. So happy with where we went to uh, in this conversation and hopefully uh, look forward to further ones in the future. Mm -hmm. Thank you. It was awesome. And Steph, yay to the co-host. Mike might be in trouble here. Just putting him on the spot. He's going to have to up his game. This is I don't know. I had big shoes to fill. I was a little bit nervous, but you know, nothing like giving new things a try, right? That's right. Uh, <laughs> we're going to quickly move over to the impact round. And I have changed this impact round a little bit because Becky has already been on our podcast <laughs> and shared in some of the questions that uh, we ask all of our previous guests. So Becky, I've got two new questions for you this morning. All right. And the first is, if you could be doing anything in this world, what would it be? I'm not sure I would change anything. I'd be doing what I'm doing now. I would be in the veterinary profession, 100%. I would be um, working with people that I love and admire. And I would be interacting with animals on the daily. So I wouldn't change a dang thing. Maybe I'd have more money. So maybe that. Well, my second question is actually, what would you do if you won $10 million lottery? Of which in Canada, you pay no taxes on. So you get the full 10. Oh, gosh. Can't even think of that. Oh, my goodness. You know, do all the things, pay all the bills, uh, pay the bills for friends and family, contribute to some greater good somehow, for sure. Um, probably get more horses and cats. Jonathan, like, I, I feel like that they're, would they're, be yeah. kind of on the list of what to do for sure. Becky would have a souped up trailer. That's what I was guessing. I would. Yes, I would. <laughs> That's what I was guessing. <laughs> so. Excellent. Well, funny how those two questions go together. <laughs> Becky, as always, thank you very much for coming on with Steph and I this morning. It is a pleasure. Uh, if and when people want to reach out to you again, what is the best way of getting a hold of you? Uh, for sure, visit our website, um, bscommunication.ca. Uh, the program's there, the contact's there. Um, you can, uh, there's a way you can book a great conversation with me. I would love, I really make this sincere invitation that anyone that wants to talk more about communication or both of these programs, um, I want to talk to you. I love um, having conversations with anybody in the veterinary profession. So that's the best way is check out our um, website. We're on all the socials as well. So you can look us up there, but the website for sure to get our contact info. Yep. Excellent. Steph, any words at the end? Me? No, that was so great. I, like I said before, I'm over here fangirling over you, Becky Taylor. You're Aww. making such a big impact on the profession. I can't thank you enough. Very inspiring. Oh, thank you. And I really enjoyed this conversation, Jonathan. I loved that Stephanie was here and that she's already 
she was progressive and sending RVTs from Manitoba to this program and already in there. I mean, you, um, you know, Stephanie are the inspiration for me as well. And I love that you're early in your career, you're already thinking this. And, and I, from talking to your, uh, the RBTs that joined us, I know that you have a joyful workplace and um, I uh, give you two big high five and my admiration for that, because that is something to be very, very proud of for sure. So I appreciate that. Excellent. Well, as all our conversations do, they will end with you, Becky. And uh, what message do you want to leave for the veterinary community today? Oh my goodness. It's the one I, I, um, I just think about all the time is like, let us bring the joy into our day. Uh, there is such an abundance of it in the work that we do. And, um, and to really look around the rooms that you're in and like admire these people that are there and not just the veterinary folk, but the clients and to see their value and their interest. And they have such respect for what veterinary professionals do. And, and I just think we just need to bring the joy back, man. Like we get to work with animals every day. So many people dream of doing that. Think of all those people that don't get to do that. And, um, and in, in one little article I wrote is just to remember the silent gratitude that we get from those patients and those animals every single day. Like to me, even in our own animals and when I'm in the clinics, I just think like that is something, you know, to really like, like put in your soul um, and, uh, and to really be joyful about that. It's a, it's a freaking joyful profession, man. It's a good place to be. And, and um and we're all good people. So I just think that's, um, that's what I think about. That is my message. Bring back the joy. And uh, because it's there in spades. Thank you for listening to the Veterinary Project Podcast. As a recap, on behalf of our hosts, the Veterinary Project Podcast will be releasing new episodes weekly. So be sure to tune in as we bring you more conversations aimed at helping you enjoy a life well lived. If you enjoyed what you heard on the show and you want to stay in the know, please like, love, and or subscribe to the podcast on the listening platform of your choosing, as we're available on all the usual suspects. If you know of others that may benefit from these conversations, we'd love it if you please share the show with them, as this will help us grow our community to reach more and more veterinary professionals. Speaking of which, if you are a veterinary professional and would like to get connected with more like-minded individuals who are joining us on this journey, please send an email to theveterinaryprojectpodcast at gmail.com, and we'll invite you to be a part of our private Facebook group. General feedback, requests for information, or perhaps requests to be a guest on the show can also be sent to the Veterinary Project Podcast at gmail.com. Dr. Michael Bug and Dr. Jonathan Light, thank you for listening to the show, and we'll catch you again next week for another episode of the Veterinary Project Podcast. Bye for now. <laughs> <laughs>